Great, well, last week we began our new series, Lost in Thought, and Phil kicked us off uh, in Lost in Thought, searching for greatness. This week I'm going to be speaking to us about searching for truth. Lost in thought, searching for truth. Truth. What even is truth? Can we ever be sure of something being true? Is there any point in searching for truth? Now, no matter what side of the political debate you found yourself on this week, I'm sure there's one thing we can all agree on. The behaviour of our leaders, our representatives in Parliament, on both sides of the House, was at least a little bit disappointing. But what we have to recognise is that whether you would lean to the political right, or, my guys, or you would lean to the political left, they are only doing and saying what they believe will give them political survival and to help them thrive in a very tumultuous, difficult, horrendous political season. They have PR experts in the background telling them the best way that they can portray themselves according to how the UK electorate will think, that's you and I, is to behave in this way. Now, I'm not talking about sage-like characters advising you with kind of these guys tri- you know, twirling their wise moustaches. I'm not talking about that kind of PR. It's not just kind of plucked out of the air. This is actually measurable stuff. It's sophisticated statistics that they're using. And actually, it's quite easy to pick up on your habits, to know how you think, to know the way in which you would consider how to vote by simply accessing Netflix, Spotify, Instagram, WhatsApp, Snapchat, location services on Google. There are so many ways now for us to be tracked, for people to know our habits. We just need to be within mic range of your phone and actually there are some things that can pick up what you're saying. Now, I don't think we know to what extent that's being used at the moment, but that's a scary thing, isn't it? They know so much about us and they know all this about us and they think the best way to act is to be tribal, is to talk in extremes, is to not use rational arguments, but to be deeply emotional in their presentation of what often really isn't very much at all. And that reflects on us as a society. So today, we're gonna talk about where not to find truth, We're going to talk about how truth came to us. And then we're going to talk about how to live in truth. And I think we need lots of prayer for that. So shall we pray? Father God, we need miracles. We need you this morning. We need you to bring your word alive to us. We need your truth. We need truth that is external to us in you to enter into us rather than the other way around. Help us, Father, to look to you to see your great ways, your ways that are unchanging, the truths about you that 
will never cease. The truth that we can stand on like a rock. Lord, would we be captivated by that kind of truth? And Lord, help us to understand how we think and how it's forming what we regard as truth. Help us to be discerning, wise, people who are truly clear thinking through the Bible in a very chaotic time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're not to find truth. Where do we find truth today? Our culture has decided that it is found within. Want to be happy? Just reach into your heart and you'll find it. Just look inside of yourself and there it is. The truth. Your truth. Oh yeah, that's where it's found it. Just find the key line in just about any Disney movie that you watched growing up, or maybe you still watch, and look for that line where the, the main character discovers the real me. And in some way, they will have looked inside of themselves. They'll have gone on a journey and found out who the true me is in a very individualistic way. Individual freedom has become the ultimate rallying call of our generation. The new religion. I have the right to do what I want according to how I feel. That's today's predominant religious thought in this country. Here's how the American sociologist Robert Bila put it. He said, we believe in the dignity, indeed the sacredness of the individual. Anything that would violate our right to think for ourselves, judge for ourselves, make our own decisions, live our lives as we see fit, is not only morally wrong, it is sacrilegious. Our highest and noblest aspirations, not only for ourselves, but for those we care about for our society and for the world are closely linked to our individualism. The problem with this though is that self-determined truth is actually an impossibility. If we just sit back, go on a journey, we are not being neutral. We are assuming and living out the information that is constantly bombarding us through these little things on the end of our arms and all the other influences that are only intrusive. When Lindsay and I got married, we started to have recurring conversations about how, how, what, what would we name our kids? Would we, uh, what, what would we name a girl? What would we name a boy? And the boy we agreed on. We couldn't believe it of all the boy names. We agreed this was the name. The name that we wanted to call a boy if we had a boy. We thought it was unique. We thought we were such individual thinkers. And, and the only reason that we agreed was clearly because we were so naked. But the reality is this. That name, Noah, has become rather popular and has actually entered the top 10 UK boy names for babies in the last couple of years. 
scratch your head stuff. I mean, how did they all know what we were thinking? They obviously just wanted to like us. We had no conversation with any of our friends, but tons of our friends had called their kids Noah. A Christian sociologist and apologist, Ted Turner, helped us out. He says, typically people express their life philosophy and what we would call a street philosophy, which is held intuitively, unexamined, but that powerfully captures the gist of one's perspective on reality. And that's a mistake that Adam made back right at the beginning. Instead of resisting, he assumed, well, two voices that he heard were Jews. But what they were saying was making him feel the right feelings. He was he was happy about it. And so he went with those voices. He assumed what they had said. Felt maybe they had a point. Maybe God was holding out on him. And the true Adam. Add to individualistic thinking consumerism. Consumerism means choice. And too much choice to the individual is toxic. I uh, I was um, walking through the airport yesterday with Annabelle while Lindsay was looking for some perfume and uh, it was duty-free chaos. I mean, everyone who had been on holiday that week was desperate to buy up these duty-free deals. And I mean, they weren't really that great. It, you've got tat that says Mallorca all over it, but you know, read the label made in china and then you've got all this cheap booze you've got all this uh sweets and garbage that we don't need and everyone's going mad for it cigarettes people are thinking well i'll get my cigarettes cheaper and oh by the way they don't even say in english all the ways that it's going to kill me it's in spanish so i don't even understand it so that's great it's easy to see how free capital is dangerous, that it becomes addictive. It's also easy to see that it has made a positive impact on the world. You don't have to look too far to see some of the, the advancements that we've made, particularly in things like medicine around the world. And that's a good thing. And our connectivity, even our connectivity on social media, we need to be careful to say that, oh, it's all evil, it's not. Some of it is great and good and helps us to be more productive, helps us to be a people who are more connected. But we tend to overindulge. We tend to want more. Sin and consumerism combined is a toxic mix because we want more and more and more and more. Trust me, my two-year-old this week, when we're on holiday and ice cream is freely flowing, and there are lots of options, nice, sweet options. She soon learns that actually there's not only one thing for me. There isn't only one option. Mommy and Daddy are holding out on me. There are more options. And more options are not good for two-year-olds. And they're also often not good for us. It's no surprise then that the UK and the US, two of the world's wealthiest nations, 
have seen the average fall in their, uh, not death rate, average age of death has fallen in the last two years in both of those countries. That, that is a, a worrying trend. And a lot of it is to do with addictions. Addictions are rife. Food addictions. Sex and porn addictions. Alcohol and drug addictions. Gaming and social media addictions. We could choose to be anything, says our individualistic culture. But it seems that what we choose is often not good for us. When the options only ever increase, we learn that we don't need to take responsibility too seriously or persevere through our problems. And when we don't persevere through our problems, because there's always another option, so I, why should I persevere? There's another option. I can just flunk out. I can just go and do something else. There's going to be more me. When we do that, our relationships become skin deep. And we detach ourselves from community before we really know the benefits of community. Then, add to individualism and consumerism, deconstructionism. Now, if you're at university, you'll learn all about this, I'm sure. Not only do we think that we should be free to both believe and acquire what makes me happy, but we want to tear down the, rep the repressive institutions that are trying to control our lives as we go. The kind of authority that, let's be honest, many of us could actually do with. And this again goes back to Adam, back to the beginning. The question posed to Adam was a sneaky one. Did God really say? I would say our culture has gone much further than that. Who cares what God says? Who cares what the church says? Who cares what the school or the doctor or even the police say? They're all just abusing their power. Now there is a lot of good in thinking this way too, right? Isn't it great that we actually have more stringent procedures on how we do kids work, for instance? We know there are very good reasons for that. Isn't it great that bankers are given tighter parameters with investing our money? Isn't it great that we don't just accept religiosity and guilt, but actually we have an opportunity now as the church to walk away from religiosity and into grace? And so there is good in some of the deconstructions. But we overdo it here too. God brought order to creation and then commissioned Adam and Eve to multiply, to build structure and order to community that helps us to flourish. But today, teachers in schools or other adults in public places have no right to discipline my children. If you disagree with the doctor's opinions, you go to Google. Find an obscure article to support your opinion about how you feel and demand a second opinion. Authority was once trusted, and now it's at best 
looked upon with suspicion. And now we have a leadership crisis. Who would want to be a leader in a culture like that? People would rather sit back than to get involved in leading the local guides, scouts, BBs. They'd rather not stand as a local councillor. Rather not be a representative of people. Why would I subject my family to the kind of abuse these people get? Okay, say you land your dream job. You, this is the job you've been waiting for, okay? The one you were made for. But three months in, you discover that there is an element to the work that you really don't enjoy. How are you gonna respond? If this culture has its way with you, this is how you might respond. Not feeling thankful that you have a job, that it's secure, and that it's going to help to make a positive contribution to society, your family, your community. You won't be willing to work for the sake of your team and self-sacrifice and, and even be heroic in the way that you serve diligently for years in one organization and make a great difference to that organization. Instead, you will first feel resentful, tricked even, then you will complain about the company and the management and feel entitled to another option that suits the true me better. Your boss fears offending you and can't sack you because you have a droopy face every time you come into work, one face, because you're the individual with the rights. No institution can now be trusted, apparently, to make those sorts of decisions. Whether you get a change or you can't get that new and better job that you deserve, you become increasingly anxious about work and the choices you've made and the choices you still have to make. You go from moaning about the job to disappointment in yourself. But you couldn't decide on the, go the girl or the boy either. And so you had to move as well for this great opportunity in this new city. Well, you want to change anyway. And now you're anxious. And you're, you're just not sure anymore about who you really are. You went to the local bar, but they thought you were a creep. And you're hardly going to go to church, are you? I mean, come on. Not that desperate. So you come for eat. You find yourself drinking a little too much, a little too often on your own. You can't stop going on Tinder and hooking up with people for one night stand. Okay, that's extreme, but it's also relatively annoying. That is the result of a culture's incessant preaching of consumeristic, individualistic deconstructionism. Like any secular society, it takes the good things in life and overemphasizes, overindulges to the point that they end up floundering around as a dark and dysfunctional pretense of a culture. Not one that is cultivating fruitfulness and joy and community, but one that is leaving us isolated and depressed. 
Let me open the Bible. And we're going to look to John chapter 1. And we'll see that although this is a little depressing, we're kind of at a Red Sea moment as a culture. We're together in this as a culture and we've been running in the same direction. And suddenly we've got to a great river where we just re- we're beginning to realise as a culture, aren't we, that this isn't working. And I think that's great news because I think it, what is coming is a great opportunity for us to reveal to people that there is truth that can be discovered and that it is glorious and good and his name is Jesus. So John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning, God. It's Genesis 1.1. And where in a dark and cursed world does John go? He goes to the beginning. He goes back to Genesis 1.1. He goes there because who is there? Jesus, the Word, who was there in the beginning, who was the truth who was with God and who was God. Our culture, confused in the darkness, is crying out for the word, for the truth. It's crying out for light to burst into that darkness. It is crying out to be saved from the darkness that is crippling us as a culture. The one who can turn the lights on is Jesus. Through the word, all things were made and by implication can be remade in him. Here comes our great hope of finding truth in a confused world. The truth seems so far away and the truth or the word is called Jesus. So how truth came to you? Augustine of Hippo, one of the great church fathers said this, The truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. Let's read on to verse 9. The truth, uh, sorry, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the 19th century, stepped into the pulpit and the Metropolitan Tabernacle for the first time, he said this, I would propose that the subject, the ministry of this house, 
as long as this platform shall stand and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshippers shall be the person of Jesus Christ the word and I would propose that of God ask a praise that every week we would see that this is all about Jesus we are not primarily people of the word we are primarily people of Jesus Christ who is revealed in his word we love Jesus so we love his word the word spoke creation into being the word came to Moses the word made known the mind of God Amos 3 1 the the prophets they were the ones who were given the word given these signs given these prophetic utterances about what was to come through the word and the last was John Jesus came with the purpose of preaching the word Luke 443 I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other times as well for I was sent for this purpose then the word became flesh like in the beginning flesh was created from the dust only this time life is created through the miracle virgin birth born into the line of Adam of Abraham Isaac and Moses yet sinless as God's son and now the Bible groups us all in two camps in Adam or in Christ the Bible is far from individualistic Adam received life in the garden but went the way of individualism by believing the lies and deceit that brought a deathly curse on all of us. Jesus came from heaven to earth in flesh and blood to be put to death through the lies and deceit of the very people he came to save. He was buried in a garden tomb and left it offering new resurrection hope for all you see the great reversal adam chose to pick fruit of the tree of knowledge that he hoped would raise himself up jesus chose to humble himself and be raised up on a tree so that others could receive the fruit of righteousness adam went face to face with god ashamed by his own efforts with only fig trees to cover himself up but Jesus was naked shamed and separated from his father on the cross so he could clothe us with righteousness philosopher GK Chesterton said this the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away in varying ways they realized the new wonder but they hardly realized that the world had died in the night what they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth and in a semblance of the gardener god walked again in the garden in the cool not of the evening but of the dawn there is a new dawn 
There is a truth to hold on to that is reliable, that is trustworthy. And you can be, along with Christ, the first fruits of that new creation by clinging to that truth. And his name is Jesus. Look at verse 13. Jesus has come to share his inheritance with you. To make you not a natural person born of Adam, but a new person, a new creation, who is made new in a new birth with Jesus. All are in Adam, now all can be in Christ. And he dwelt among us. If you've already heard this passage preached, you will know what this means. The word dwelt among us, dwelt literally meaning pitched his tent among us. Now it's not just any old tent. This is the tabernacle. This is talking about that tabernacle that we were looking at in Joshua that the whole of the Israelite nation centered itself around in the hope that they would bring a new worship, a new order to their whole nation. As you know, that story, as it goes on, did not end the way that they might hope. Until this moment. When God himself becomes flesh and becomes the temple, the tabernacle, the one that is designed like the garden, that's what the tabernacle and the temple were like, looking back to Eden and forward to the new creation, all find their place in this man, Jesus. He is the temple of the Lord. And now here... By calling Jesus the word of God, we see the ultimate representation of God. Jesus, who is God, the word of the law and the prophets. All the promises of old have come to earth. He is a walking tabernacle, a walking temple of God's presence. And right in the middle, right in the center of that tabernacle was the commandments. And the commandments were in the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the presence of God and the Holy of Holies dwelt. And we, in a consumeristic, individualistic culture, have done something serious with this beautiful truth. We have somehow created churches that are about the spirit of presence. And somehow created churches that are about the word truth. You cannot have the presence of God without the truth. And you cannot have the truth without the presence of God. They come together. They come in the name of Jesus. When you proclaim Jesus, when you make your church life all about Jesus, when it's true and genuine and bubbling over in worship and you give your whole being to him, you can't help but be in the presence of God and in the truth. Because he is the truth and he is the presence. This has been a passion of mine. How did we do this? We should be terrified that we've done this. How you can become so consumeristic that you make God a commodity. Even in the beginning, God the Father created by his word and his breath that hovered over the deep, the new man, the spirit. He spoke 
spirit in your heart. If we want to see this culture transformed, we must comprehend that our, our pursuit of God is a pursuit in word and spirit. We need to see the Bible preached and read and studied and meditated on. And as we do, pursue him in his presence. Intimacy with God. Be careful that you don't desire something that omits one of those. No longer do we want to think now, now that we're new in Christ, with the individualitis of our culture, but with all the saints as one in Christ, children of God and the family of God. No longer do we want to think with this toxic consumerism of our culture, thinking the more stuff, the more content will be. No, Jesus is enough. Satisfaction in Jesus alone is more than you can even begin to comprehend. He is always enough. No longer do we think through the deconstructionism of our culture, but instead with a holy renewal of all things. Because deconstructionism has seen some things that are wrong. And that's good. But just to pull it all apart and cause chaos doesn't help. Instead, we need to see a renewal centered around Jesus. The truth, the word, who can set us free. Okay, very quickly, how to live in the truth. Let your love be jealous. Let your love for God be jealous. You know that moment where Jesus goes into the temple and he starts throwing over all the tables? That moment wasn't just for that generation. That moment was a sign for all of us. All of us in every generation should see that Adam-like lies and deceit and run away from them. Be wholly discontent with them. And instead, turn to Jesus and bring people with you. Turn them to Jesus. Be honest with yourself. In culture like this, where we like to deconstruct institutions, it's very tempting to be critical of leadership and of structure instead of looking at yourself. It's very easy to be blind to what's going on in your own heart. Is holy discontent for you happening as you look at yourself as well as the church and other institutions? Or is it only happening as you look out? You've got to look in first. Look in at yourself. Be renewed in Christ. Be honest with yourself. Paul to the Corinthians in 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 2 7 said, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Mark Sayers said this, when we begin to channel our holy discontent, it is easy to channel it in other directions. All of us can find things in our culture or within the church that fuel a holy discontent. Yet those who have come to the end of themselves, who hunger for God again to move, must first turn their holy discontent upon themselves. Not in self-condemnation, self-hatred or insecurity, 
but rather in a courageous act of imagination. And that courageous act of imagination is this new creation spreading out across the earth, this new kingdom that God has brought. Help one another to come into his presence. And that means lots of things. It means turning up to church. It means turning up to grace communities. It means getting alongside people and being accountable with them. It means hearing, sending that text when you know that they're struggling. It means genuinely loving people and not just using them. It means all kinds of things. We can't get into all of them right now. But let's be the type of people who build one another up in the presence of God by singing together, by taking communion together, by eating together, by loving one another. It also means helping one another to listen to the Spirit of God. This is something I've been convicted of the last couple of weeks. It's very easy to do and not listen. We need to be people who listen. We need to be people who slow down and listen to God. I had a couple of conversations with guys in the church that really helped me on this. It comes from accountability, from people being honest. We need to be people who are drawn back to intimacy with God time and time again and listen to the voice of the Spirit. And yes, the Bible has ultimate authority there, but it's not the only way in which God speaks. The Bible tells us that God speaks in other ways. And it's very important that we listen. One more. Be faithful. Through the generations, Jesus never gave up on you. Through the temptation in the desert, Jesus never gave up on you. Through the troubles that you find yourself in now, Jesus is not giving up on you. To be the people of God, we want to be Christ-like. So let's be people who are faithful. Let's be people who make tough decisions, carry the burdens of others at times, are willing to sacrifice, willing to do the hard things, not just take the easy option, but to do the right things before God. And that ties back to listening, doesn't it? We've got to saturate our lives in prayer. Go to him for wisdom. Ask and he'll give it to you. And I bet you often it will be sticking be faithful, I am with you. We're not to find truth in this individualistic, consumeristic deconstruction of a world, of a culture that we're in. Yes, there's good stuff in there, but you've just got to be so weary of the constant preaching of this culture into your heart. Don't look in for truth. Don't just rely on your feelings all the time. Feelings can be great when they flow from our relationship with God, but they can also be very deceitful. Be careful. 
Listen to God. Get into his word. Adore being with his people. Have a holy discontent and jealousy for the love of God in your life. And together, because we're making much of Jesus, who is the truth, God can do anything. Let me pray. Lord God, I, I pray that as we get our heads round who you are and start to think about you as the truth, the, the one who governs all else in our life, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to discern the voices that are deceiving us and find your voice that is speaking into our lives. Thank you so much that you made it so clear by coming and dying in our place, raising up on the third day, ascending into heaven and pouring out your spirit on us. And now we are in your presence because you were that temple. You are that temple. And now we are like living stones. You've made us part of the family. You've made us part of the temple. You have made us like temples on the earth, walking around filled with your presence. God, give us confidence in what you have done. The truth that we know is there, is true, is real, can be relied upon, that we know for sure. And Lord, we pray that you increase our faith in it. And that then we would we would begin to be people with this kind of holy discontent that overflows into intimacy with you and intimacy with one another. We love one another well and then that we welcome others into this and that all these people in this Red Sea moment as they realize that our culture doesn't have all the answers, they would realize that you do. And Jesus, you have all the answers. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We love you, God. Come as we worship your holy name now. We pray and reveal in great power and by miracles that the truth is here. Jesus is here. Christ is here. The hope of glory. Amen. Why don't we get on our, our feet?